Well, happy Pentecost Sunday. Let's try that again. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Many of you are going. I didn't even know that. But this morning is Pentecost Sunday for the church. Most churches all over the world are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. And so what I want to preach on this morning is the whole idea of Pentecost. And the reason why I want to do that is because there are some misconceptions about Pentecost. There's also a lot of people here at City that are newer to faith and you've never really read the Bible, you've never really been part of church. And so this morning I want to go through and explain what Pentecost is and then encourage you to be a person that allows Pentecost to affect your life. Now this is a very exciting morning for us because we're going to have five people baptized in water at the end of our service. But before we do that again, this morning's sermon is going to focus on Pentecost. What is it and how does it affect you and how does it affect me if we open up our hearts to Jesus by faith? So just so you know, as far as the background, the culture, the context of Pentecost, the word Pentecost literally means 50th. That's literally what it means. Pentecost is a word that translated in English comes from the the original biblical word uh, 50th, and it is a feast commanded by God that God came to Moses when God gave Moses the law, and he said to Moses, listen, 47 weeks and one day after the Passover feast, that all of Israel is to gather together and to celebrate God's provision in their lives. And so what would end up happening is, people would go out into their fields, they would gather some of the best of their harvest, they would bring it towards the temple, And in the temple, the priest would present to God the offerings of the harvest so that the people knew God was first and that that would incur God's blessing. Now, because it's 50th or Pentecost, it's also known as the Feast of Weeks in the Jewish calendar. Feast of Weeks, seven weeks plus seven weeks times seven plus one day. 50th, Pentecost. That count comes from the actual day of Passover. God said, count 50 days, 7 weeks plus 1 day, following the Passover feast, which is the primary feast of the Jewish faith. Now in the Jewish faith, there are 7 feasts. Passover is the second. And so many people who had traveled a long distance to Israel during the time of Jesus would make a literal vacation out of it, or a time where they would gather all their belongings together, they would take a pilgrimage, and they would spend 50 days in Jerusalem. Their celebration would begin with Passover, and would end with Pentecost. So what we're getting ready to read about, we're getting ready to read in the Scriptures, we're going to discover that there were people from all over the known world, Jewish people who had taken a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, but then also to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Now, not only was it a Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks, but by the time of Jesus, this feast 
This Jewish celebration had this incredible added reality, and here's what it is. It was during Pentecost that the Jewish people commemorated and read about and celebrated the giving of the law to Moses. Because you see, after the Passover meal, they had moved out of Egypt from bondage and slavery. They had moved towards the promised land. And when they got there, they had this incredible experience of God's provision. And so what we know is this. We know that when the Israelites moved towards the promised land, God called Moses to go up on top of Mount Sinai. And when he went on top of Mount Sinai, there was thunder, there was lightning, the mountain shook to its core, and God downloaded, that was a joke, God downloaded on stone the law of God. And Moses received the law of God, and those ten commandments, those ten commandments which is being commemorated on Pentecost, the receiving of the law of God, those Ten Commandments for the Israelite people becomes the center of their faith. Those Ten Commandments, the first four, are about a relationship with God. The last six are about our relationships with people. The law of God is all about relationship. But over time, what begins to happen is there are more laws added to those ten. And by the time the Older Testament closes, there are 613 laws that are the center of the Jewish faith. There is a law for almost everything. So now the Jewish faith is a faith that is based upon these laws. Now remember, the day of Pentecost is the commemoration of the giving of the law of God to Moses. That center reality of the spiritual life of the Jewish people. So it's not only Feast of Weeks, but it's a time where they would read about, they would worship God for, and they would commemorate what God did for, their, his, for the Jewish people up on Mount Sinai through Moses. It was an incredible, incredible time. But as we move towards the Newer Testament, here's what we discover. That not only was it a Jewish feast, but Jesus... Following his resurrection, but before his ascension, was talking to anyone who would listen, talking to his disciples, talking to anyone who would listen in his resurrected body, he began to talk about the fact that he was going to do something special. As a matter of fact, on the day of his ascension, Jesus takes his disciples aside and here's what he says to them. Here he is ready to ascend to the Father, and here's what he says, I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city, meaning the city of Jerusalem, stay in the city of Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus in resurrected body begins to teach his disciples that there's something else coming. Not only does he do that in the Gospel of Luke, but what we find in the book of Acts is the same thing. In the book of Acts, the ascension account gives us the following. Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So many times, Jesus in resurrected body just before the ascension begins to tell his disciples that there's another thing that's going to happen, that what God the Father has promised will be delivered. And Jesus says to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. You need to hang on. And in hanging on, God is going to pour out his spirit. And when he does, you will receive power. Now, when we read about what happens on the day of Pentecost, it's absolutely fascinating. The Bible tells us that the disciples are in the upper room. There's about there's 12 disciples and probably about 110 other people. They're in the upper room. They're praying. They're being obedient to Jesus. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. You need to wait. And the Bible tells us that on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one room. And here's what happens. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So here's what the book of Acts is telling us. The disciples did what Jesus told them to do. They waited. And waiting in Jerusalem, they were gathering together for worship and prayer. And God, by His grace, on the day of Pentecost, pours out His Holy Spirit... And what we discover is, is that when the Holy Spirit comes out, when the Holy Spirit comes down, it comes down with incredible force. You'll notice that there is a sound of a violent wind. You'll notice that the disciples look around and they can see the literal Spirit of God come down. And the book of Acts tells us that when the Spirit of God pours into that room, it separates... And as a tongue of fire, the Holy Spirit begins to rest on every single person in that room. Now the question has to be, why? Why does it happen like this? Well, the reason is, is because it's Pentecost. And you see, Pentecost is the commemoration of the receiving of the law of God to Moses. And when Moses received the law of God, he was up on Mount Sinai. And when he was up on Mount Sinai, the whole mountain shook. There was lightning. There was smoke. There was thunder. There was an incredible display of God's power as Moses receives the law of God. And so what God is doing, what God is demonstrating, is he is making absolutely sure that the disciples in the upper room know that it's him. He's reenacting Mount Sinai. And to put it this way, very clearly, God is making absolutely, positively, without a shadow of a doubt sure, that those disciples know it's the same God that delivered the law of God so many years before. So here we have the disciples. They're in the upper room, and God does three things to make sure they know it's Him. There's the sound, there's what they see, and then the tongues of fire come down on them. God is making for certain, for absolutely sure, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, they know it's Him. 
Have you ever met someone that wanted to be absolutely certain about something? They will say to you, positively, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. They kind of repeat things. They make sure that you know. Well, I had an experience this week where that happened in my own life. And I want to share that with you because I found it exciting. It was this. I was in my front yard and I was doing some yard work. Don't be overly impressed. Doesn't happen very often. But in the spritzing rain, I was out there working in my yard, planting grass seed and trying to get our lawn looking better. How many of you know that that's absolutely futile, but you do it every single year? Amen to that. So I'm out there and I'm working and I peel back all of this straw that I had laid out and when I did, this amazing little creature of God's creative expression was exposed. In a few moments, I'm going to show you a picture of it. But I love nature. I have a passion for nature. And I looked down and I saw this incredible little creature. I was stunned by it. So I picked it up on the trowel that I was digging up dandelions with, and I put it on a little wood stake in my front yard. And I placed it there, and then I went in the house and I got our camera. And I was taking pictures of it. I was taking pictures of it like the paparazzi was doing at the royal wedding yesterday. I was snapping photos, zooming in, zooming out. I was totally mesmerized. And after a period of time, a member of my family came out to figure out why there was sort of a family photo shoot going on in the front yard. And that individual that came out, we'll call her Fran, because it was. So Fran comes out, says, what are you doing? Now listen, when I first saw this beautiful thing of God's creation, I looked at it, I picked it up gingerly, I put it on the wood stake, and when I see that little creature, it's somewhere on the spectrum of God's creation between a ladybug and a hornet. Somewhere in there. Now, let me show you a picture of what I found. Next slide, please. It's a black widow. Isn't that awesome? How many of you have ever seen a black widow? They're just stunning little creatures. So what ends up happening is my wife comes out to try to find out why the paparazzi is in the front yard taking all these pictures. For me, that beautiful little creature is on the spectrum between a ladybug and a hornet. That spider in my wife's spectrum is somewhere between a venomous rattlesnake and Lucifer incarnate. Somewhere in between there. That's about where that black widow fell. So I'm mesmerized and I'm taking all these kind of pictures and I'm so excited. And then she says, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, I'm going to take him. And she said, it's not a him. It's a she. Whoa, I forgot to pay attention during arachnid course in middle school in the fifth grade. And I forgot that the black widow spider, the one with the red little thing, is a female, not a he. And she said, what are you going to do with it? Because if that thing lays eggs, 
We're going to have billions of these in our front yard. They're going to invade our house. And so I said, I will exterminate it. If you could show the next slide. <laughs> these are the three things that my wife provided to make sure that that black widow went to arachnid heaven or hell. In her case, I'm sure she feels that that thing goes to hell, arachnid hell. Back to Lucifer, because that thing is Lucifer incarnate, as we know. But when you look at these items that are used to kill the black widow, first of all, we have Lysol, so that it smells good. <laughs> then we have some type of a toilet bowl cleaner with no bleach. That way, it's bathed. <laughs> then we have the thing that actually kills the black widow. But we had to use all three. Do you want to know why? You want to be positively, absolutely sure that that thing is taken care of. And then I gingerly, after we had bathed it in Lysol, cleaned it off again in that bowl cleaner, and then killed it again with the raid. I put it on the little spade I had, and I walked it out into the middle of the street, and we crushed it totally destroyed it, to which she looked over and inspected what was left and sprayed it again, just to make sure that the thing, see, you got to be positively, absolutely, without a doubt, sure that that thing is gone. Here's the reality. That's what God did in the upper room. God was making positively, absolutely sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that those disciples knew it was Him and that he was pouring out a spirit on the day that he had given the law of Moses. There's something new. There were 613 laws that governed every area of life. But on that day, God chooses on the day that you commemorate the giving of the law of Moses, God chooses to pour out himself. He chooses to pour out his spirit, and he wants to make sure that the disciples know that it's him. And then if you were to read on, you would discover, if you would read on, you would discover, it says this, all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Isn't that stunning? Something they were unprepared for, something they were never warned about, something no one ever talked to them about happens. On the day with the giving of the law of Moses, God pours out His Holy Spirit and they know it's Him, but the effect of it is they can speak in languages they have never, ever learned. It's shocking. It's stunning. And the question is, why? Why would God have done that? Why would a God have poured out His Holy Spirit? Why would He move in this way? Well, here's what I want to tell you. First of all, notice that all of them were speaking in a language they had never learned. Every one of them. This was deeply personal. It was an individualistic thing. You see, the law of Moses had been given to everyone. 
But instead, this is given to each individual. The next thing we know is this, is that language is essential for relationship. God suddenly, miraculously gives people the ability to speak in languages they have never, ever learned. And that is the result of the power of God. How many of you sitting here have struggled to learn a foreign language? How many of you gave up? God miraculously gives language in the upper room to all of them. And they're able to speak in a language they have never learned. Why? Why would God do that? Well, you see, there's something else that's happening here that if you know the Older Testament, you're going to be aware of a story. And the story involves the Tower of Babel. You see, there was a point in time when everyone who'd ever been created gathered together and they, instead of scattering, instead of going from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, instead of inhabiting the earth, which was God's original command, They all gathered together, and they said, we don't want to obey God. We're not going to scatter and inhabit the the whole world. We're going to live in one place. We're going to build a city, and in the middle of that city, out of rebellion, we're going to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. And the Bible says God looked down, and when he saw humankind and the unity of humankind, God said to himself, man can do anything he wants now because they're all in unity. You know what God did? God did this. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so that they will not understand each other. And in the middle of the building of that tower, they began to babble. They couldn't understand each other. And God confused the language of all of humankind. And so what ends up happening is people who could understand each other begin to clump up and they begin to move out and follow God's command to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. You see, what's happening on the day of Pentecost is God is restoring language. And as He does... It brings unity, and it brings His love, and it brings His presence to humankind. So the day of Pentecost is a commemoration of the giving of the law of Moses, where God, instead of bringing more law, now brings Himself. And when He does, language is given. And we're going to read here in just a moment that as language is given, people are stunned, and they begin to move towards God. So what I would like for us to do now is to read the story. I want us to read the story together. And we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. Here's what the Bible tells us. It'll be up on the large screen. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem. Can you imagine this? The power of the Holy Spirit has fallen. There's this sound of a rushing wind. There are tongues of fire. And now people are speaking in languages they have never learned. That crowd from that upper room pours out into the street, and as they do, here's what the Bible says. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? They're there for the Feast of Pentecost. 
They have been there since Passover, and they're there for that feast, and they were getting ready to go home. But the Bible says there are God-fearing Jews from all over, and every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the sound of that rushing wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Boy, that's an explanation for so many things, is it not? But you see, what's happening is, not everyone in the crowd can understand the languages that are being spoken. And when they get frustrated and they cannot understand the language, they begin to look at it and say, well, they're speaking, but I can't understand it. So that must be a gobbledygook language because they're drunk. What happens next is amazing. The Apostle Peter stands up to preach. By the way, Peter is the second best name in the entire Newer Testament after the name of Jesus. Peter gets up to preach, and here's what the Bible tells us. It says, on that day of Pentecost, and Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow, Jew, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Isn't that an old saying, that it's okay to drink whenever because it's nine o'clock at night somewhere in the world? Have you ever heard that before? He's saying, look guys, it's nine in the morning. They're not drunk at all. No, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And all of those Jewish people know the prophet Joel. And he quotes for them. He quotes from Joel and he says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. By the way, ladies, you ought to be cheering right now, because God through the prophet Joel looks into the future and says there's going to, be, there's going to come a day where my presence will not just land on unique men. But my presence, my spirit, will be for everyone. It's going to be for everyone. And Peter gets up and announces that. And notice what the prophecy says. It's going to be men and women, old and young, those who are free and those who are servants, those who are slaves. You see, Pentecost is this day where God's presence touches everyone. It spreads out. It becomes personal. It becomes individual. And Peter gets up to explain. And then he goes on to preach. It's the first sermon that was ever preached about Jesus. 
And Peter gets up and preaches, and here's what he says in verse 22 of Acts 2. It says this, fellow Israelites, Peter preaches, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And not one person said, liar. They all knew it was true. Those people in Jerusalem had seen the miracles of Jesus. They knew the authority of his teaching. And Peter says, you yourselves know that God was with Jesus of Nazareth. Reading on or preaching on, he says, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Then he goes on. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive salvation. You will receive good stuff. You will receive this. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you're going to receive. And as he was preaching, he went on and he said this, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off from for all whom the Lord will call. In other words, this gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The gift of the Holy Spirit will be for everyone through all time whom God will call. It says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Do you know what my full confession is? My first sermon was not that good. The first time Peter ever preaches, 3,000 people come to Christ. Isn't that amazing? But here's what you don't know, is that on the day when the law of God was given to Moses, there was a a rebellion among the Israelite people. And on that day, God, out of his judgment, swiped out 3,000 people. And you see what's happening on the day of Pentecost is on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are not under judgment. 3,000 people get saved. And God is announcing to anyone who will listen, I am on the move. And what I'm doing is going to be powerful and profound. Now, how do we put feet to our faith when it comes to the whole idea of Pentecost? What does that look like? I mean, it's an awesome story. It's a story that many of us look at and we believe and we say that's awesome. But how do we put feet to our faith when it comes to this story? 
First of all, this is key. Number one, know this, that the Holy Spirit is a, a who, not a what, or for you UVA fans, or a who. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity of God. And you know what I found though? A lot of churches never talk about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus did. The Apostle Paul does. As a matter of fact, both Jesus and Paul were preaching and teaching, you will not make it unless the person of the Holy Spirit becomes part of your life. It's essential. It's critical. So when it comes to putting our feet to faith, please know this, that God on the day of Pentecost poured out His person. He poured out His Holy Spirit. But also, putting feet to our faith, let's understand this, that connecting with God is not about rules. It's not about do's and don'ts. See, that was the law. That was 613 laws that were given to Moses. And on the day of Pentecost, when the law was given, God now pours out His Holy Spirit. And what God is saying is this, that connecting with God from that moment on to this day is not about rules. It is not about do's and don'ts. It's all about a personal relationship through the power of the Holy Spirit. What I want to say is this. That is huge. But here's what I know. For many of us, our Christian faith is about do's and don'ts. It's about a list of rules that we feel we need to live up to. And I am begging you. I am encouraging you. Please be the following kind of person. Be the kind of person who is spiritually open to and prayerfully aware of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what we know? Is if a list of rules would have done it, it would have already been accomplished. But it didn't work. The 613 laws, all it did was prove to people that they could not be what God was calling them to be. And that's why they had a sacrificial system. Because after living for a year under those 613 laws, you had to go to Jerusalem and make a sacrifice for the sins that are behind you. But the good news is this, is that Jesus Christ was sacrificed for all sin. And when we follow Him, and when we say yes to Him, and when we give our lives to Him, my sin is covered in Jesus. But He doesn't stop there. Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says this, I have given you my Holy Spirit so that you can live the life that I'm calling you to live. And so again, I encourage you, be spiritually open to and prayerfully aware of the Holy Spirit. Here's why. This is how the Christian life is to be lived. If a list of rules would accomplish it, then the Jewish faith has already got it. But God, by His grace, sends Jesus. And Jesus and the Father, by their combined grace, sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to give us power 
and to give us authority to live this thing called the Christian life. Now, we have a lady here at City who has found that God's presence has been very real in her life. And I'm going to ask Jan if she will come on up and she's going to share briefly with us about what's happened in her heart and what's happened in her life. Not only is she going to share about what God's done by His Spirit in her life, but she's also going to be baptized in water today. She's one of the five that will be baptized in water. Do you want to know why? The same message that the Apostle Peter preached 2,000 years ago is still relevant for today. Repent and be baptized. So Jan, will you share briefly what the Lord's been doing in your life? Everyone say good morning, Jan. Good morning, City Church. Um, so I actually grew up in the Protestant church. I was baptized as an infant, um, basically where my family gathered. Hold the mic right here. Right here. There we go. Okay. You're waving it. I'm... I have top of my hand. I noticed. So if you could <laughs> hold it right there. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I was baptized as a child, and basically it was my parents and extended family and the, the congregation agreed to raise me uh, in the Christian church and to support me that way. Doing it, aren't I? <laughs> no, you're so, fine. Okay. You're doing great. Um, and then when I was about 13, I went through a confirmation class, which went through basic doctrines of the church, um, the principles of Christianity, um, and that allowed us to join the church and to take communion. And so I got it. I, I understood. Um, Never really had a great rebellion from the church or denounced God or anything. I always stayed a part of the church, um, was living a good life, doing my thing, not sinning crazy headline-worthy kind of stuff, um, and, and getting it and, and, and understanding it. I mean, I cognitively got all the rules, you know, um, I'm doing this, I'm checking, yeah, got this. Um, but... Something has shifted for me in the past about four to five months, and part of this was going through the soul care class, um, which was incredibly life-changing, transformational, life-altering for me. And what I started realizing was that while I really got all this cognitively, that there was kind of a disconnect between my, my head and my heart. And I started, for lack of a better descriptor, kind of looking at things differently. And what kept coming to my mind, the best way I can represent it is, is to say, so when I was a child, I was fascinated with Helen Keller. Like everything I could read about her, every play, every, everything. I just was fascinated with her and her teacher, Annie Sullivan. And um, Helen was super smart. She was blind and deaf, and Annie taught her sign, and she would sign into her hand instead of, since she couldn't see, she would sign into her hand. And so the coolest thing about Helen Keller when she was young, I mean, she, she picked up the, the signing and, and would sign and sign to her dolls, but she didn't really understand what she was doing. Um, but this, the incredible... Um, moment of transformation for her was um, Annie was at the well pumping water and, and Helen had her hands in the water and Annie's signing water, water into her palm. Um, 
And like she'd done many, many times before, but for that moment, Helen made the connection, like the big boing, aha, light bulb moment for her. And she realized that this stuff coursing over her hand was water. And, and it was the same thing that what she was signing. They were together. And that's, that's kind of the best way I can describe what's sort of happened to me over the past um, three to four months. So thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Jan. God has sent his spirit. He has sent his spirit to override and to consume the law of God. And he has sent his spirit so that each one of us individually can have the power of God to walk with Jesus and to be in an individual, personal relationship with our creator. I'm going to ask that you would join with me and you would stand. And as we stand together, I want to take just a moment. I know that some people are freaked out by the thought of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I know. The Holy Spirit is a dove. The scripture teaches this, that the Spirit of God is gentle. In the same way that the Spirit of God worked in the life of those Jewish people 2,000 years ago, He was working within their framework with something they could understand with the giving of the law and now the pouring out of the Spirit. But I know that God through His Spirit knows you and He knows me. He knows each one of us individually. Next Sunday I'm going to talk more about speaking in tongues and the biblical realities of that. But where my heart is for City Church this morning is that all of us would become more open to the Holy Spirit. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about the living presence of a living God. And the sad reality is, is that many of us live as though the Holy Spirit does not exist. So what I'm going to ask that you would do with me is take just a moment to close your eyes in God's presence but to open up your heart to him. Now for some of us, you heard Peter's brief sermon where he said, repent. Repent of your sin and be baptized. If you do, the gift of the Spirit will be yours. I experienced that in my life. I was a preteen boy. As Jan said, she didn't have any marketable sin and neither did I. But I knew that I needed God. And so walking across a wheat field on a farm in Wisconsin, I prayed a prayer that I had heard reiterated in the church that we had begun to attend. It was a simple prayer. It was a prayer that went something like this. And if you would like to pray this prayer with me to accept Jesus into your life, please do so right now. Because God's Spirit is here. And the prayer was simple. It went something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything there is about who you are. But what I do know is that I'm not big enough, smart enough, or strong enough to do life alone. So Jesus, I ask you that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse me, that Jesus, 
through repentance and forgiveness, you would put me in right relationship with your heavenly Father. Jesus, take me and use me. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name, amen. And I want to tell you something. When I prayed that prayer as a preteen boy, there was no mighty rushing wind. There were no tongues of fire that came to rest on me in that wheat field. I'm going to tell you what did happen. Is from that moment on, I have sensed so clearly there is someone else with me. From that moment on, I've had this incredible experience of knowing that God is with me. That, my friends, is the Holy Spirit. And God guarantees that to any of us who just prayed that prayer. God guarantees that to any of us that have prayed that prayer before. But here's what I want to encourage you. Would you this week be more open to the Holy Spirit? Would you be prayerfully and consciously open to the Spirit of God? Because Jesus told his disciples and he tells us, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is essential for the Christian life. As people are getting prepared for baptism, we're going to spend a brief few moments in worship. I want to encourage you to worship God and be open to the Holy Spirit as you do. Let's worship together.
Jesus, you have won me. You have broken every chain with love and mercy. You have triumphed over death in you. At this time, we're going to be celebrating with people through water baptism. This is a big moment for these people. And so I want to encourage you as they come up out of the water, please celebrate with them, with what God's called them to do as they have repented and now they're following through with baptism in water. So first we have Jan LaPrade. So Jan, if you'll come on up. Everyone say good morning again, Jan. Go ahead and step down there. There you go. Is it warm enough for you? Is there anything that you would like to share? Well, I think I already did that. <laughs> she said she already did that. So. No, I just wanted to say, like, even though I was baptized as a as a child, this is this is my grown up um, or playing with grown up on TV. Um, Here you go. My public and personal just testimony, not my parents doing it, not going through a class, um, but 
Jan as a grown-up doing this. So, thank you. So, Jan, if you'll go ahead and be seated. So, Jan, have you accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Go ahead and put your right wrist right there. So, Jan, upon your profession and confession of faith that you have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Next, we have Kurt Burkhart. Kurt, if you'll come on up. Let's give Kurt a hand as he comes. So I'll hold that microphone while you get in. There you are. Then go ahead and step down. So Kurt, is there anything that you would like to share? It's on. It's on. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I was, uh, as a baby, um, um, baptized in Lutheran Church. Um, this is my personal and public uh, reaffirmation to my love and uh, for Jesus Christ and my belief that, um, that there's a, another world that comes after we pass. Uh, I'd just like to say that, um, for me, the sense of mortality um, is quite strong. Uh, it comes like that with probably anybody at any time. But, you know, when we exhale that last breath and we go to places that we've been told exist through, Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no, can we have a second chance? Can we do it over again? So please make right with Jesus. I'm doing that today. Thank you. Kurt, if you'll go ahead and be seated. Kurt, have you accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? I have. Yes. Go ahead and put right there, left wrist. So, Kurt, upon your profession and confession of faith that you have accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Next, we have Paul D'Amelio. Paul, come on up here. Come on up, Paul. All right, Paul, I'll help you get up and in. There we go. Watch your step. You're a big boy. If you go down, we're both going down. So let's be careful here. There we are. So, Paul, is there anything that you would like to say to your church family? Uh, yes, I'm just reaffirming my commitment to Christ. I was baptized as a child, and I wanted to do it publicly and also laid down my life because Jesus laid down his life for me. So, Paul, upon your confession of faith that you've accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next is Ryan Boyer. Ryan, come on up, buddy. 
David, how are you doing? Step in yet. <laughs> um, so my name is Chris Becker. I'm the children's pastor, and I've been Ryan's pastor for a while, and he's decided to make this step of faith and get baptized. So is there anything you want to say, Ryan? Yes, there is. <laughs> One thing is that I'm really excited for this baptism, and another is this baptism, what it means to me, means becoming more connected with Christ the King, and it allows me to continue God's amazing path that he has given me. So That's awesome. Step on in, bud. All right, Ryan. I'll hold it. All right. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, I have. Awesome. All right, so put your right hand on your nose. Left hand there. Ryan, on profession of your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next is Richard Aguila. So Richard, come on up here. Let's give him a hand as he comes. Thank you. To Richard, is there anything that you would like to share with your church family? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Um, I've never actually been baptized, um, but I've always believed in God and believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And um, I went to JMU and I kind of drifted away from the Lord. But one thing about him is that no matter how far away you drift from him, you can always come back to him. And so this is my public declaration of my love and adoration for Jesus Christ. Thank you guys. So if you'll turn and show them your shirt. So notice the shirt. As you know, the mission and vision statement of City is follow Jesus and serve others. So you've noticed each person in the tank this morning has had a follow Jesus shirt on that signifies publicly as well as baptism their commitment to follow Christ. So Richard, if you'll turn and be seated. So Richard, have you accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? If you put your right hand over your nose, left hand on right wrist. So Richard, upon your confession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it for the baptisms for today, but let's give all of them a hand for all of those that were baptized. And I want to encourage you that if you've prayed the prayer to accept Jesus this morning, on the back side of the, the news feed that you're handed as you came through the door, there's a tear off. You can put your name and basic contact information and check the box that says that you've accepted Christ or you've reconnected or reconfirmed your faith in Jesus this morning. As you exit the auditorium, we're going to have people with buckets. They'll be there to collect those cards from you. We have people, and we want to be prepared and ready to journey with you in your newfound faith in Jesus. 
Also, if you have a prayer need that you would like our prayer teams to be praying for, you can fill that out and put those in the buckets as you're leaving in just a few moments. But I am so grateful, and I know that you are as well, that God sent His Holy Spirit into this world so that we could walk with Jesus and we could walk with God in personal relationship. Not by rules, but by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together as we close out our time. If you would like personal prayer, individual prayer, at this time our prayer teams are moving to the side. Our life group leaders, as well as those that are part of our prayer ministry, they're there to pray with you and to pray for you. If you have a need in your life, I want to encourage you to be prayed for before you exit city this morning. But now what I'm going to do is give the pastoral blessing. I will encourage you to stay in worship as long as you feel like you need to. But now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. And may He give you peace and His Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's worship together. You can slip out quietly once your heart is full.
help us put our trust in you. Help us to look to you, God, when we're struggling, when we need you, Lord. Help us not to rely on our own strength. Trust in your love, God, your faithfulness towards us. You are worthy of our praise. Lord, I pray that you would help us walk with you this week, that your spirit would be upon us and guide us. We love you, God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. Please call us in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.